and online at LuckyMojo.com. I'm your announcer, Dr. Jeremy Weiss of TempleofMiriam.com, and in just a moment we'll be joined by our co-host, Miss Catherine Ironwood of LuckyMojo.com in Forestville, California, and Conjurman Ali of ConjurmanConsulting.com in Mission Viejo, California. This week we will be joined by a special guest, Doc Murphy of Twin Cities of Minnesota in Paganistan, bringing us today's topic of cemeteries and hoodoo. They will take your calls and offer advice to address, ameliorate, and remediate your questions and problems about love, money, career, and spiritual protection using traditional African-American magic practices of hoodoo, conjure, or root work as divine and prescribed by the greatest spiritual hoodooists of our time. You can learn a lot just by listening, but if you're selected among those who have signed up at the Lucky Mojo Forum at forum.luckymojo.com and have called into the show, then you will be on the air and receive a free consultation. We'll be going to the phones in just a moment, but first, we're going to catch up with our co-hosts, Ms. Kat and Conjurman Ali. How are you both doing today? Oh, my gosh. Um, if I told you how I was doing today, Jeremy, you wouldn't believe it. But, <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. It's I would. fantastic, and it's out of sight. So just to catch you up briefly, let's see. Um, after spending all day yesterday working with the incredibly talented Gray Townsend on the composite illustration for page seven of The Stranger in the Cup, the new book on tea leaf reading by Gregory White and myself. That page to consist of the covers of some of the most fabulous Art Deco teacup reading books ever published um, in miniature. Um, And those of you who have a copy of Genuine Black and White Magic of Marie Laveau will know what I'm talking about because we showed all of those miniature covers of all the different editions of Black and White Magic of Marie Laveau. This is similar, but far more visually exciting. Well, after spending a long time doing that all day and getting it all beautifully squared away, um, uh, Gray was just burned out, and uh, he said, you know, let him get some sleep, and maybe he'd be able to come back and work on the cover. And he also said, you know, he just, it was like so many hours he'd been working. And I said, just, you know, don't don't worry. We can maybe do the cover somehow or other. Maybe, maybe Deacon Millen and I can do the cover. Maybe something. It'll work out. We went to bed. I stayed up till 2, writing and typesetting on the book. And at around 4.30, I was awakened by this incredible windstorm and tree branches crashing down. We had had 103-degree weather the day before. And all of a sudden, we were in the midst of this crazy windstorm. And I thought, this is insane. Where did this come from? And, oh, I forgot to tell you, 
we'd also had a two-hour power outage because it was 103-degree weather. At some point, they just decided to cut our power, along with two million other Californians, right? Oh, God. So we went, oh, yeah. So we went through two hours of power outage while working on a book. Then the power comes back on. We had to restart everything. Then I go to sleep at 2 in the morning and then wake up with the windstorm. And I thought, oh, no, the power is going to go out again. But it didn't. But what I saw was what we used to call heat lightning or chain lightning. This is lightning that never strikes the earth. It's in the clouds. And it is absolutely not a California phenomenon. We never have heat lightning in California, maybe every 10 years. And it was Mm -hmm. like intense and it was severe and it was non-ending and um it was like the clouds were just lighting up and lighting up and i thought my god i'm i'm back in missouri i'm in kansas i'm you know i'm in the mid south somewhere it was crazy so i managed to go back to sleep and at 7:30 i woke up and it was fucking hailing and then raining and as the old song goes it never rains in california in the summer it doesn't it just doesn't it's it's august and rain was pouring down and shiva gets up leslie luckily had come to work early at 7 30 she she says you know i'm, I'm going to go help take the boxes in because ups had delivered all these cardboard boxes and we're shorthanded as everybody knows and it never rains in california so they left the boxes on the upper lawn by the barn and didn't put them away so shiva struggles up after having been up till two, gets up, helps Leslie. Leslie helps him. They get all this stuff together. I managed to go back to sleep, and I'm like, okay, I'm asleep. It is lightning. It is fucking hailing. It is a windstorm. I don't know where we are on Earth. I slept until nine. Shiva shakes me awake, and he goes, Gray's been up since four thirty, and has a cover for the book. And I'm like, oh wow, what? what? <laughs> you know, and so. I'm like, okay, tell him he's a saint. So Shiva types, Kat says you're a saint. And he sends the message, and I'm like, okay, make me some coffee. I'll be there in just a second. And the power goes out. The fucking lightning struck a block away. It was, I saw the flash. I heard the sound. They were simultaneous. Those of you who have been in Forestville and where Cars Drive-In was, it was either mm-hmm. at Cars Drive-In or the elementary school. Pow! And all the power went off again. So then I'm like, now what do I do? So I go to my phone to call, my cell phone, to call Gray. But the number's disconnected. And I'm like, oh, great. I haven't called Gray on my cell phone since he and Marcus bought the new house. Right? (laughs) I I can't get into the database to get his new phone number. I don't know what to do. Right? But luckily, I have a second cell phone that I bought more recently. So Shiva goes and finds the second cell phone. It has a different contact list in it. It has his new number. <laughs> I phone him, and I say, okay, we're on, I'm on a landline. Uh, I can't see what you did. I hope it's beautiful because I couldn't see it. can't get on the Internet. So we talked about it just into theory, like move this over to that and do that, and I hope you orient this that way. For we talked one hour with me designing and and helping him design the cover blind, right? After one hour, the freaking lights come back on again, okay? So that was 10 o'clock, at which point Deacon Millett joins us because he and I always have a Sunday morning coffee um, 
a meeting by Skype. Deacon Mildred shows up. We're all in Skype now. And then um, Papa G shows up. And so since 10, and now it's 3 my time, um, we've been in a Skype conference. But Gray and I have been working since 9, right? And we now have, a, yeah, I mean, holy moly. So that's, you know, if you ask how are things, you get the long answer. Because, <laughs> and we're not done yet. And Gray is, you know, and, and meanwhile, Deacon Millet, who's worked with me in the comic book business since, you know, 80s, 1980. So, um, you know, we're talking about letting. And, and Papa G is going, do you mind if I ask what's letting? And so then I have to launch into the whole history of type, right? And letting and kerning and tracking and and uh, I didn't even get into compression. And Steve Jobs and the creation of the Macintosh. I mean, you know, it turned into one of those things. Um, anyway, and Gray is a saint. Gray believed that when I typed that Gray was a saint, or when Shiva typed the Gray, that I said Gray was a saint, that it was sacrilegious, and that's why God struck and our power went out. <laughs> the entire town of Forestville was punished for that one. But I think Gray's a funny dude. He really is a saint. And um, we could not do this without him. I mean, it's just unthinkable. And the book is now typeset and written um, basically through page uh, 68. And I'm, I'm closing, and by the end of today, we'll be up to page maybe 72, maybe 75. And um, then it's all downhill from there. It's just the home stretch. And because um, page 72, for all of those of you keeping track of the mathematics of printing, um, everything is in multiples of 4 and 8. And you can do the math. What is 72 out of 96? You figure it out. It's a marker point. It's a good point. It's a good place to be. Okay? Um, so that's, it's, a, it's, for those of you who are math challenged, it's three-fourths of the way through the book. <laughs> All righty, so that's it. And we have some pages after um, 72 that are done anyway, uh, the, so forth. Anyway, that's it. That's how I've been. I hope everybody understood half of that. Um, this book, this book is going to be a deadline chaser because we have this weekend, this Monday, tomorrow, and one more Monday, one more Monday. That's it. Come on, guys, we could do it. Um, I'm, I'm sending I'm in sprint- you good vibes. Thank you. I'm in sprinting mode. I'm in. I mean, this is <laughs> this is, you know. I've always been a writer and an editor, but I've always been I've always worked in um, journalistic enterprises. The deadline, the deadline, the deadline. I think I saw the original version of the movie, The Front Page, probably 15 times. I've seen the second version of it at least five times. I've seen the third version once or twice. The, if, if you ever wondered what motivates someone like me, go see the original, earliest version of The Front Page. A great movie. All right, that's how I am. How are you, Ali? I am doing well. Not as hectic as what's going on over there, um, but I should say that the the storms of the West Coast, because it hit all the way down to Santa Cruz and whatnot, 
um, it was legendary. It, it's been all over uh, social media and Facebook, and there's been videos popping up everywhere of the lightning storm. So it's been it was it was an epic storm that was very unusual for the West Coast. The West Coast doesn't really have um, you know the, the the that type of weather. Um, but it's been no. weird and funky. It's been weird and funky weather all month long. I mean, uh, there's a massive fire going on near LA. Uh, mm-hmm. a, a little bit north from LA, where people were showing videos of fire tornadoes. So that's always that's not <laughs> you know particularly good. Oh my good. gosh! And Indonesia's volcano just um, erupted, massive eruption last week. Uh, I just so missed been, this. I've been, I missed it because yeah. I was too busy. Holy moly! Yeah, it's been a it's been a funky, funky month for for weather. Really weird weather phenomenon. And then, of course, the East Coast had this massive storm blow in uh, just a week earlier, too, that knocked out power in New York City. Manhattan yes. completely, completely went dark. So th- it's, been, it's been very weird. Uh, you know, and there was that big storm out. in the Midwest also. And there was a big storm in the Midwest. And then there's also like yeah. a, a fire after fire and explosion. You know, Mars is in Aries and is doing all sorts of weird things. So it's been it's definitely been a weird uh, time for weather. I unfortunately have not actually knock on wood haven't experienced much of that. It's been relatively quiet where I'm at. Um, I just uh, you know sort of happy news. I was uh, I have a client that I've been working on on relationship matters, and I mentioned this last week. We did a astrological reading for them, uh, and they, she had not uh, had a date in many many years. And after we did the remediation, she went on her first date last week. And happy news to report, it all went very, very well. So that's looking quite promising. So we'll see okay. where that goes. But it's a, it's a nice break in the case. Um, it's always kind of rewarding when you can help someone who's been kind of dealing with something for a long time. There's something mm-hmm. that's fulfilling about hearing, hey, that date went really well. And I'm like, oh, good. <laughs> so mm-hmm. some happy news that's to great. report and all the craziness. Well, I'm I'm in this bizarre locked-in state because I have I scheduled my readings. I schedule my readings two months in advance, and I can't, with good conscience, like tell all these people, "Oops, sorry, I'm dropping out of yeah. the reading business because I got to do these books." Had I done that in January, it would have been fine, but now it's too late. So I'm trying to work on this book and do readings and help run the shop. I'm, I'm a, yeah, the word hectic is good. I, I, like I said, I'm just, I'm in perpetual sprinting mode now, just running mode. Um, but if you have a reading scheduled with me, just know it's, I'm not going on Hoodoo Psychics on Saturday. So I'm taking a huge uh, cut in my uh, visibility and in my pay to get this book out. I just feel the, the, the goodness of the book is such that you'll all like it. And, as I announced to my colleagues today, what other book, what other book on tea leaf reading will also contain mention of chromolithography, four-color offset lithography, and show card lettering? Think about that for a moment, Mm. because the answer is none. There is no other book on tea leaf reading that will tell you about show card lettering. But this is this is the fun of writing a book. You get to bring what you love about the subject. And what that has to do with the subject 
is that tea leaf reading wasn't just, um, you know, like, hi, let's be psychic. It was really part of a much larger movement, and I've mentioned this before. It's sometimes known as the Tea Room Movement. And the Tea Room Movement is something that grew out of the release of women from second-class citizenship, the search for female suffrage, which had actually begun much earlier in the um, spiritualist movement where spiritualist ministers could be women, and then the temperance movement, the idea to get away from alcohol and intoxication, and also the abolitionist movement, some of the uh, first outspoken um, northern people who spoke against the South's slavery were women, such as um, Harriet Beecher Stowe, the author of Uncle Tom's Cabin. And so the abolitionist movement, the um, temperance movement, the the, uh, 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 spiritualist movement, the psychic phenomenon movement, the founding of all of these ceremonial magicians, their lodges that they were founding, and then suddenly female suffrage that goes front and center, and then the tea room movement, women in commerce. And all of this comes together at the same time that printing changes from being something very expensive to something mass colorful, chromolithography, and then because of World War I, whoops, chromolithography goes away, and we go to four-color offset printing, which means that the whole art style has to change to be simple line art plus color, and then these tea room proprietors, all of whom were pretty much women, begin to print matchbook covers of their beautiful art because for a very small fee, you can have the art department of the printing plant of the matchbook covers design something for you. And so tea room art is part of tea leaf reading. Does that make sense? Mm. And yeah. So, so that's kind of this book... This kind of book puts tea leaf reading, of course, most of the book. I'm sorry. Most of the book is about how to read tea leaves. Trust me. Many, 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 many pages. You know, what, is a, what does a broom mean? What does a chariot mean? What, is a, you know, what does a house mean? All of that. That's all in there. Don't worry about that, folks. But, but there's a lot of sociology in this tea leaf reading proposition. And this book kind of covers that in a way, and points you to some other books in the bibliography that talk about tea rooms as political women's space and, um, you know, the feminist tea room, I guess you could call it. There's even, a, we have an ad included for what's, it's in Dublin, Ireland. It was called the Suffrage Tea Room. That was the name mm-hmm. of the tea room. I mean, that kind of mm-hmm. says it all right there. So, it really does. Uh, anyway... I hope you guys will get a kick out of the book, and you will learn how to read tea leaves, but you'll also learn about woman magic, because tea leaf magic, let's just be frank here, it's 85% women and 15% Mm -hmm. gay men. (laughs) Okay, ain't that the truth about, you know, I mean, the number of, uh, no, I take it back, Ron Martin, straight man, and Larry Balkin, straight man. I know a few men who read tea leaves. Um, I, I bet you John St. Germain reads tea leaves. But it's not something that you say, I'm going to go to a tea room and read tea leaves if you're a guy, unless you mm-hmm. kind of want to make make your masculine charisma kind of bow, bow over a few, uh, bowl over a few ladies. But, um, you know, generally speaking, tea leaf readers are women. It's always been that way. 
anyway, that's what I've been doing. Sorry that took so long to explain, but I have um, I have really um, this show is a place where I can kind of put in a little few marker points of what's going on in the world. And um, let's, it's also let's kind turn of, it's now. Super. It's also super interesting to see how the book progresses. So people are going to see the end result of the book years from now, but they can tune in to the radio show and hear how it developed and the ideas oh, that yeah. went into it, the kind of behind the scenes. So it does act as a really cool digital archive for the books themselves. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And and something else that a lot of people don't know about our book company, there are four owners of the book company. It's called Lucky Mojo publishing or whatever, but it's actually separate from Lucky Mojo Curio. And there are four owners of the book company, and they are me and Nagashiva as a pair, and we own the majority stock in the company. And the other two owners are Deacon Millen and and Gray Townsend, Doc Gray. And so we've been working at this together as a team for a number of years, and um, and so we, we really, it's a whole little world, it's a whole little other occult company, you know. If I ever get um, too old to work in the shop, I, I'll still from my, you know, with my laptop on my bed, I'll probably still be wanking books. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, although somebody said to me the other day, well, don't you guys already have about three dozen books out? Isn't that enough? <laughs> and I'm like, no, no. I think that, no. To the making of books, there can be no end. Yes, I like quote. that answer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's turn and um, and turn to our topic. And um, we have with us today. Speaking of Doc, we have another Doc, Doc Murphy. <laughs> and, welcome, um, welcome. Welcome to the show, Doc Murphy. Hi. Well, that, this is so exciting. <laughs> My head is spinning from all of the news about the book and all of the weather. I was just going to say that we had tornadoes blow through the Twin Cities Friday. Um, so I, got, I got to look out my window in St. Paul and watch funnel clouds forming in the storm line roll over us over in uh, Minneapolis and in Hennepin County. Um, there were a few that uh, touched down in Hennepin County and all over different places in a uh, Minnesota, prior, I, I wanted to let everybody know that if you don't hear from me ever again after this show, it's because I've been eaten by a bear. We have, we have had our second, our second black bear sighting in the city of St. Paul, and this one was six blocks from my apartment. Um, oh, my God. You're kidding. A, no, I'm not kidding. There was a jogger that was out in the morning uh, jogging around St. Thomas University here, six blocks from my apartment, and it looks over, and there's a bear. And I'm like, okay, bears are coming to get me. That's it. I got <laughs> so, um, uh, like I said, we had a month ago that showed up at a parking ramp in, in Lower Town, St. Paul, which is south of downtown. This one literally was six blocks from my home. And I'm like, clearly they're following the river because the Mississippi cuts right between both cities. But why we decided to come up and uh, um, jog around the, the campus is weird. But it was just a little like, all right, this is this is either just really weird or like, I got to look into some bear medicine, like really, really hard here. All my, all my spiritual friends, of course, are like, you need to look into the meaning of bear coming into your life. And my sister is not magical, says, well, just don't go jogging. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so wow. the storms and bears, um, I think St. Paul is turning into the woods, but that's 
<laughs> That's what's been going on. It's been going on here. Can I ask a question? You mentioned these tornadoes, and I've been in Hennepin County. I've been in Minneapolis and St. Paul. I associate tornadoes with a region a little bit south of you guys. Are you are tornadoes common up there? Well, more than we thought. There was about a decade ago there was a tornado that blew right through the north side of Minneapolis. And of course a lot of folks still kind of hold that well, tornadoes don't touch down in big cities because I don't even know why we hold that myth, but that's one we up here in the upper midwest we hold. We're in a city, we'll be fine. Blew right through properties through north Minneapolis and that one was, was pretty rough because a lot of the People that live there are renters, and a lot of those properties became condemned after the tornado. So we had a we had a real problem with uh, housing that we haven't really recovered from. Um, and yeah, like I said, and I, I <laughs> change is kind of what I'm opting for. Like we did have tons and tons of reports of more rural areas of Minnesota getting water spout tornadoes and other sorts of tornadoes in places you'd expect. But like I said, I was sitting looking out the window with candles lit watching the storm line blow by and the funnel cloud storm. I was like, well, it's going to down near or nearby, and, and they kind of did. Yeah, they were around uh, Hennepin County. They told folks in Brooklyn Park to take shelter, and it was it was pretty exciting. But I live in a big concrete building, so I, I was okay. Except they got a bear after me. <laughs> yeah. Well, the bear the bear was probably trying to find some place safe too, you know. Yeah, probably. <laughs> bear the bear was thinking. I don't think the bear is going. I don't think tornadoes touch down in the city. Maybe if I go to the city, I'll be mm-hmm. safe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if I knock on Murphy's door, she'll let me into her cement building, and I can eat her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. Right. Well. It's just strange all over. Well, this when we were having this wind, hail, lightning thing, I was going, it's the red spot on Jupiter. Earth has developed a red spot, and I live in it. But what I'm seeing <laughs> is that it's really more curls and twirls everywhere. This is all a lot of curling and twirling energy. It's very strange, folks, very strange. Okay, um, and I do have one question for Ali. What's the name of the volcano in Indonesia? I just don't know it off the top of my head. Oh, you know, I'm going to have to look it up, and I'll get it back to you. So uh, like one, <laughs> I'll, I'll chime in in like a minute. Okay, great. I just, you know, there's a blank spot, and I'm going, mm, volcano in Indonesia, need to know its name. So let's get it's to our topic, cinab- cinab- and I'll tell you. Cinabung. What? It's called a Cinabung. Mount Cinnabung. Cinnabung. Okay, well, no wonder yeah, I didn't know it. Erupted six days ago. Wow, okay. All righty. Um, well, I missed it. Um, all right, let's get to our topic, which is in a way appropriate, because, uh, dang, if this keeps up, we're going to have graveyards everywhere. Um, yeah. <laughs> our, topic, our topic today is... Um, the use of the cemetery and um, its products in hoodoo. So I'm going to just, as I usually do, open up with a little bit of a kind of an overview. Um, The use of the cemetery is not arbitrary. It's not because it's a cemetery. It's the use of the contact with the spirits of the dead. So the cemetery is not the only way to contact the spirits of the dead. You can contact Mm -hmm. them through prayer or through a candle 
or through, um, you know, in, intimate direct trance contact or um, a Ouija board and automatic writing. There are many ways to contact the dead. But just as in hoodoo, we use personal concerns to establish contact to the living, we use graveyard dirt and or literally the bones of people to establish personal contact with those people so that just as in doing uh, a spell for or maybe job advancement, you might want to have um, the signature of your boss on a piece of paper, on a check or whatever. And just as for love, you might want the fingernail clippings of your lover, or you might want the hair of your lover from several portions of their body. So when working with the dead, you would want at least their graveyard dirt. Also, coffin nails are important. Mm. But but coffin nails have been used since for at least 100 years. Um, it's considered um, improper form and also much too difficult to literally dig up coffins and break them up and to get mm-hmm. the nails. And so people make coffin nails by taking nails and burying them in dirt, preferably in dirt from a graveyard. So you can either take the nails to a graveyard and bury them and then redig them, or you can bring graveyard dirt to your place and bury the nails there. And they will rust naturally, and when they are rusted, they are considered to be coffin nails. But graveyard dirt itself has many reasons for being used. Um, It can be used for love. It can be used for money. Um, It can be used for protection. It can be used for cursing. It can be used for healing for many, many purposes. And most people who come to hoodoo without understanding that graveyard dirt is a personal concern often think of it as a cursing thing only. And it can be used for cursing. You take the graveyard dirt of someone who died badly or died of a disease, Mm -hmm. and you basically can convey that to the person on whom you're working. But just as easily, there's a classic spell in which you use the graveyard dirt of someone who loved you, and you ask that spirit to make the next person love you. And when I say loved you, I don't usually mean your mama or your daddy. What I mean is your dead wife, your deceased husband. Um, and or that person you were going to marry, but she died after the engagement, but before the marriage. And you get the permission, and you take their dirt, and you put a little on your fingers, and you touch it onto the person um, who you want to have love you. You convey, now bring your spirit in and make, you know, John Doe love me the same way that my husband Harry used to. And so mm-hmm. graveyard mm-hmm. dirt is not just spooky, ugly, freaky, gloomy, and scary. It is um, literally a way of contacting the dead. Okay, mm-hmm. that was my intro. Now I'm going to turn it over to you, Doc Murphy. Tell us about how to use graveyard dirt and how to use cemeteries, which is separate and above the dirt itself. Well, what kind of drew me to this was um, Nagashiva just posted in the um, in the chat the link to the article that I bumped into. This was one of these moments where my my worlds collided happily. I was just looking for 
um, anthropology and hoodoo when I was um, doing a search and came across this article by a forensic anthropologist that was published um, about cemetery work in hoodoo and her work as a consultant in South Carolina um, because law enforcement were noticing some kind of ritually looking things going on in the cemetery and they weren't sure what was going on. Um, the forensic uh, specialist, the anthropologist that they hired as a consultant had actually just been on um, the Hume Plantation in South Carolina and did a, a bit of research on um, the remnants of conjure there. So they got a hold of her and said, do you think that might be what's going on here? And she said, oh, yes, it's hoodoo. Um, what happening was hoodoo cemetery work, uh, and she had some familiarity with it from previous research. Um, basically, she did the research and the investigation, uh, basically to demonstrate to the cemetery owners and law enforcement that, the, that what was happening in the cemetery were not crimes. These were meaningful religious activities. These go back centuries, and there was nothing to be concerned about. I mean, inevitably, if there's a mess in the graveyard or there's detritus left behind, people jump to the conclusion of, oh, it's vandalism or it's um, a bunch of teenage kids listening to Ozzy Osbourne and having wild parties in the graveyard, or some get into that whole crazy satanic panic thing that happened in the 1990s that something untoward was going to happen. And she, through her research, through analyzing what was going on in uh, the cemetery and also some of the magical objects, which I kind of wanted to get you guys' opinion about on this, uh, she was able to point out that, you know, not only was this not criminal activity, but also she was able to point out biases and misconceptions that law enforcement had regarding investigating. You know, they were sure that there was some weird crime going on. They were sure that this was, they, they didn't understand what was going on, and she was able to actually do the work to say, um, you know, this is actually a meaningful activity. Um, so when 2014, uh, they called her out, she was able to actually take two spell jars that they found in some surface scatter in the cemetery and be able to analyze it to be able to see, well, this is what's going on. And again, this 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 came from her previous research analyzing um, meaningful um, stuff left behind in, uh, on the plantation, and she was able through her through her experiences and also through talking with its, uh, doctors in uh, the community in South Carolina, that like, yeah, this was this was um, this was hoodoo, and the cemetery has been used there over and over for these rituals, and this is nothing that anyone needs to be concerned about. No one's going to come back and and vandalize and destroy things. Um, so that's kind of what what leads me toward looking into um, cemetery work and. Like I said, I'm looking at it through through um, not only as the eyes of a practitioner, but also as a as an anthropologist myself. Um, so she and the article is very interesting. If you if you do want to read it, like I said, Nagashiva put the the link in the, in the chat. And uh, in addition to really doing an excellent job of talking about the history of Hoodoo in South Carolina and what it what it uh, entails, she also did a full lab analysis of the spell jars and the and the surface scatter that she found to identify what was in these containers and probably what the the, the uh, magical work was for. It was a couple of cursing jars apparently that she picked up. That would be one of these things where I could probably run through the ingredients that were in the jar and you guys would be able to go, yep, mm-hmm, that we know what that kind of magic was for. It was, it was that specific. Well, I can I jump in here? I, I'd like to say something here. Um, Shiva posted in the chat um, log that um, the same thing happened here in Forestville. There was some activity in the cemetery. And uh, I've talked about this before on the radio show long, what time ago when it happened. It happened actually twice. Um, we were consulted by the uh, local graveyard 
keeper, and um, he was concerned, you know, just as you said, about Satanism or, you know, vandalism or something. And it was very obvious there were two different there were two different groups of people doing work in our graveyard. One was what I would call more hoodoo style, and the other was more what I would call mm, Palo slash Santeria style. Obviously, mm-hmm. it had some, uh, you know, other factors in it. The Palo Santeria stuff was against a person who was going to be testifying in court. It was very obvious. It was a beef tongue stabbed to an oak mm. tree with with big giant knives, multiple knives, mm-hmm. <laughs> and with the person's name written in Sharpie, and so forth and so on. The other was like dolls with little whiskey bottles and things like that. And um, so um, it was kind of neat to be called in by the sheriff and the graveyard keeper and to say, no, no, we didn't do this because they thought, oh, my God, you guys did this. No, no, we didn't do it. We do our, we do other things, but we didn't tell them what, <laughs> what we do. <laughs> but um, <laughs> we bury our stuff a little neater than they, these people did, you know. Um, and um, and so it's neat to know, and, and Tony I said that he's been consulted where he lives um, also because of activity in a graveyard, and Tony I, as those of you who know, is um, in our chat often. He's a, a reader and root worker, um, and, it, you know, and it is um, interesting to be, um, to be consulted um you know that that to, by people who realize that they are actually looking at a spiritual practice and not mm-hmm. um just seeing vandals and this is kind of great about the internet that's all i got to say the internet has made this possible because prior to that there was nobody to ask and everyone just jumped to these terrible uh conclusions so I just wanted to throw that in, that we've been consulted too, and uh, we documented everything. We took extensive Great. photographs, and, um, yeah, we even took the rotting beef tongue home and photographed it before throwing it in the compost because you can't just keep rotting beef tongues in your... It was endangering the tree because um, beetles were, you know... Um, Beetles were eating the, the it, but they could also they were going to be laying eggs in the tree. You could just see it was going to damage the bark of the tree, so we had to take it out. Um, but in any case, there you go. That's our story. Go ahead. Yeah, well, it's, it's also uh, it was kind of nice for me to read because uh, please consider talking to your local friendly anthropologist. We we are useful <laughs> in situations like this. Um, what was also interesting too is as I was. Uh, Rereading this article, I, like I said, Nagashiba is doing a great job of putting um, excerpts from the article in of the the actual um, objects and, and, and detritus that was found actually in the, in the cemetery. That uh, their researcher's name is Sharon K. Moses, by the way. Um, the Dr. Moses was his name. And uh, as I was preparing, I, I had a conversation with my sister yesterday. Now, my sister happens to be an archaeologist. Um, she works here as a cultural historian, um, also here in the Twin Cities, and. She's not a magical or spiritual person. She does not have a magical bone in her body. This has never really interested her, but she's, she's really good to talk shop with. And I actually was mentioning about my appearance on the show today, and I was talking about the article, and, and I told her, uh, you know, the, the author of the article collected the spell jars to kind of analyze in the lab. My sister's eyes got the size of saucers, and she went, are you supposed to do that? Uh, I thought she was initially, 
we're kind of talking through the, the lens of an archaeologist, which is if you find objects on an archaeological site in the record that are meaningful, don't touch them. You consult with the community nearby who know how to take care of meaningful objects, um, things that are left there meaningfully, and they'll know the proper way to take care of that. She works with a lot of indigenous communities here in, in the Twin Cities when uh, they find that in sites like this, and that's, that's what you have to do. But her thing was like, are you supposed to do that? And I went, well, she was doing analysis, but it does bring up a question, and there was sort of a similar question that Miranda, uh, Ms. Miranda Taro was asking in the chat, which is um, when it comes to coming across meaningful objects at a place like a cemetery, you know, evidence of spell work, jars, offerings, these sort of things left behind for magical reasons, um, it does bring up the question of what to do. Um, if you come to them not only by accident, if you're visiting a cemetery, but also, I mean, I would love to hear you guys' perspective on this. In regard to how long something is magical once it's put into motion. You know, you deliver the jar to the cemetery, you walk away, you don't look back. How long does that magical item stay magical and remain active? Is there ever a point where, okay, magic all done, now it's just a jar, or is it perpetually magical? And what kind of care does somebody... And not only maybe doing analysis, but just somebody even just cleaning up in the cemetery because that's their job. What kind of care do they need to use when handling these sort of sacred items? And I think that's what my sister's concern was. Um, well, you know, I, I do, I do have an opinion here. And uh, it, mm -hmm. it, it's opinion based on the history of my life, but I, it's valid mm -hmm. um, as anecdote. In my experience, African-American hoodoo magic, you would always bury everything and there would be nothing there would be nothing left to see because in african american culture due to policies of political racism and segregation mm -hmm. if you went to work particularly went to do work in a white cemetery and cemeteries were segregated and you mm -hmm. left some, something on the graveyard of a former police chief or whatever it would be they would set a watch for you, and they'd fucking beat the shit out of you, maybe kill you, right? Yeah. So mm -hmm. everything was always hidden. However, yeah. in the Latino community, especially the more modern Cuban community, but even coming up from the Mexican border and Texas, there's a tradition of leaving things on top of the grave. And mm -hmm. there's a very good book, which I hope Shiva can find the title of, on um, Texas graveyards. It's published by the Texas State Historical Society. And um, there's a, a a lot of material about the decoration of graves. See, there's a whole other mm -hmm. um, uh, thread here, which is decorating the graves with offerings. Yeah. So when you get the Latino, and especially what I would call the modern non generationally transmitted, read it in a book, saw it on the Internet, went to a, a, a botanica and learned it kind of half-acidly from somebody who learned it half-acidly. There is a tendency to confuse offerings with workings. And so although offerings to be left is quite common, Workings, mm -hmm. leaving them in sight is not. So now, to circle back to answer your question, if I were to find such a thing in a cemetery, I would bury it 
on behalf of the person who didn't know any better, because otherwise it's going to be taken up and thrown in the trash, and that is not what they wanted to have happen with their spell. And so they're not thinking it through, and I think a lot of this has to do with clashing culture ideas of offerings versus workings. And when and also the idea of a deserted cemetery, which is a more rural concept, and with a trafficked cemetery, which is a more mm-hmm. urban and United States concept. So who would have thought, for instance, oh, if you went down to some cemetery in these, what do we call, private graveyards uh, that were on farms, you know, in Mississippi or wherever, you could do whatever you want. But still, people would bury everything because there might be somebody who would see it who was of that family. If everyone in the, if the cemetery has like 90% of the people have the last name McNeese, right? <laughs> the other McNeese people are going to come and visit grandma's <laughs> grave and they're going to say, oh my God, look at all that. You bury it, you bury it. Right, yeah, yeah, but yeah. but but if you even if you don't even if you go to some random obscure cemetery and you leave it there, there's not a caretaker usually. Usually the right. cemeteries are only cared for on um, decoration day, May 31st, right? Mm-hmm. And that's when they're when the haying and the mowing of the cemetery is done of the rural cemetery. But in these modern cemeteries, they're mowed once a week or you know every other week, and they're. The, the idea of decorating the graves on one day is not observed as, as stringently as it used to be, although it is here in Forestville. But so you have to think about we're, we're watching cultures colliding here. And that's my answer to your question. Well, we should also note that the, the role of the cemetery in hoodoo here varies a little bit. So what we're t- when you see uh, other cultures that are related but uh, different, for example, Afro-Cuban culture, Afro-Brazilian culture, etc., cetera, uh, they're working with the graveyard. They treat the graveyard as a kingdom all its own. It's got its own keeper. It's got its own rituals. It's got its own – and th- so it works on the surface there because it's its own kingdom. For practitioners of hoodoo who are predominantly African-American, who have experienced the history of racism in this country, the cemetery is a source of secret power, of clandestine power. You go to the cemetery when things aren't going well in the rest of the, in your normal life. And it's not just a place where you go curse and cross and whatnot. It's also uh, one of the more important places you go for justice. If the legal system is screwing you over, where do you go? You go to the cemetery. If you are about to get caught and you need to get away from the law, where do you go? The cemetery. All types of old tiny spells about hiding things in the cemetery, about jumping over graves, all these things that are aimed at bringing secret power to bear on your situation. This is one of the reasons why that burial component is so important. There's the historical reason that then shapes the spiritual understanding. The cemetery mm-hmm. is a place of secret power. It's where you go to do things at midnight. It's where you go to bury things. It's where you call upon the kind of hidden reserves of your ancestors if you can get to them. Because what your real-life allies aren't with you. You don't have a good lawyer. You don't have a good ally. You don't have that person that's going to help you out. And so you need to go to the dead. And the dead will become your agents. The dead will become your champions. The dead will fight on your behalf. So it's a very different way of working. And it's very much rooted in the idea of secret and secret is power. And this is also one of the reasons why the cemetery work is not just killing, crossing, cursing, and all those things. It can be. 
But people go to the cemetery in order to get help with getting a job. People go to the cemetery in order to get help with love. People go to the cemetery when they need help in legal matters because it's a place of secret power where you go because the real world around you or the physical world around you isn't going your way. And so you turn to this mm-hmm. other reservoir of power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I want to say something also again about the collision of cultures and the misunderstandings. There are commonalities, but there are misunderstandings between those who practice African diasporic religions and those who practice hoodoo. So hoodoo does come from Africa, but it is um, from primarily Central West Africa, Congo and so forth, Angola, all that type of an area, and somewhat into West Africa, especially among the Igbo people. And um, Santeria and these other things that are, and voodoo, come from more in the west coast of Africa. And they have different pantheons. Each one has its own pantheon. They have their own beliefs. They are separate cultures. They share enough in common, especially when white people look at them. They seem to, you know, they just look at the black skin and they just, their eyes glaze over and they go, they must all be the same. But they're not. And so the mm-hmm. the the idea of working with muertos or the dead or the egun has a role in Santeria, for instance, that it doesn't have in hoodoo. And to force that belief into hoodoo is to do hoodoo a disservice because hoodoo, as it developed, came primarily out of, of um, Christian converts from Africa. And because of that, there's a whole series of theological and cosmological concerns about Mm -hmm. what role do the dead have? Do the dead uh, sleep, as it says, and never know, and only will wake up at the last judgment? Or, as spiritualism brought to the fore in the 1850s, do the dead stay around us? The reason spiritualism became so popular with black Americans was it accorded with the black belief that the dead are accessible. And it was not... um, something that was um, found in mainstream Christianity, so Christian spiritualism arose. So these concepts can't be forced together. You hear what I'm saying? Yep. Okay, so now what happens is people come out with academic or personal gnosis (laughs) credentials and say, this is all the same, but it's not. So in Mm -hmm. Hulu... You might not. You may not be celebrating your your igun, your spiritual court, whatever that might be. The um, the African diasporic religious Latino tradition. That's not maybe what's happening. And what's happening instead is going to seek, as as Ali said, a secret power to find mm-hmm. a person of power who can help you in your need for protection, luck, love, magic. For instance, there are many yep. spells in hoodoo to go to the, ga- to the grave of a gambler and um, to offer coins as an offering, bury them, of course, and then take some of the dirt to use and sprinkle on your cards at home so that you can gamble better, right? So you're basically you know, just making a trade. It's not an offering in the sense of veneration. Yep. It's Buying the graveyard dirt, you buy it by giving the coins. Okay. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yes. It is very transactional. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. and some of the some of the kind of workings are so uniquely tied to this idea of secrecy. 
there's a whole way of catching uh, criminals and and people mm-hmm. who have escaped justice by going to the funeral of somebody before they're buried and sneaking something into their coffin so that it's buried with them. Therefore, the spirit will rise and catch that criminal for you. It's an act of calling upon that spirit for vengeance. And again, it's, it's not this, this act of veneration. It's not this act of worship. It is very clearly tied almost to a transactional relationship rooted in secrecy. We make a deal, you and I, behind the scenes. And this is very old-time in hoodoo. In hoodoo, there's really kind of three forces, and there's some, you know, wiggle room there with the introduction of saints and whatnot. But generally in hoodoo, it's God, the devil, and the dead. That's who you're calling upon. And mm-hmm. all of them kind of have their, their different kind of ways that you call upon God because he's all-powerful. You call him the devil because he can handle kind of practical material stuff, right? You want to get rich. You want to get wealthy. But for most other things, it's the dead. That's who you're going to call upon. You're going to get graveyard dirt. You're going to bury things. You're going to do a working in the graveyard and then bury it. There's a whole way, the whole whole ways of working, but they always revolve mm-hmm. around this very uh, notion that the power is actually in the earth itself, that it's buried. It's not. But there are some very like, kind of surface level working, but they involve the actual gravestone. So, for example, one in which you wake up a spirit is you shake the gravestone or you knock on the gravestone. But there's not a lot of stuff that involves like leaving out candles or whatnot. It's always buried so that the spirit can then work on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm going to say something about the murder victim because you mentioned that. I'm going to get real specific mm-hmm. here. Um, burying something, one of the most common is that you bury the murder victim with a raw egg in each hand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, the belief is that the eggs will eventually rot, build up sulfur gases, and explode. And when that happens, the heart or the conscience of the murderer will explode. And the murderer will either fully confess his crime or will die. Basically, those are your choices. And yep. that is yep. old. Yep. That's real old. But you wouldn't leave that egg on top of the grave, it has to be in the victim's hands. They have to be holding it because it's their power. Their hand is conceived of as crushing that egg and causing the truth to come out. Mm-hmm. 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 Excellent. Yeah, the, the one kind of thing I wanted to kind of add with regard to the, the work that Dr. Moses did in her research was that she had to kind of stick at the law enforcement in South Carolina because um, they were presuming that whoever was leaving the magical uh, substances behind in the, in the cemeteries were African-American because this was African-American magic or they were conflating it with African diaspora traditions or whatever, but, you know, they, they, they weren't informed. Mm-hmm. When she cracked open the spell jars in the lab, the photographs inside the jars were of white people. And she basically had to say, all right, look, there's no assumptions being made here, but one big assumption you're making is that you're looking for <laughs> suspects doing a crime that are black. And she said, and white people and people of other backgrounds are not even on your radar. So she had to kind of call them on the biases that they had with regard to not only what crime was, the law enforcement sees crime another way and, and um, you know, uh, they had their own lenses through which they were seeing what uh, crime was, the vandalism, and that sort of thing. But she basically so, said, so yeah. So this goes, this goes exactly... Mm-hmm. 
I'm sorry to interrupt, but this goes exactly with what I was saying. This mm-hmm. is yeah. Yeah. A generational forgetting, and these are Internet-led ideas. But by white people, we don't know whether these are white Latino people or mm-hmm. European Caucasians who are adopting Latino religions, which there are a number of, or who think they're adopting some form of voodoo or black religion, this is where some of this conflation between the offering and the spell work is happening. Because you can read it all over the Internet, and it becomes, and I'm going to try to be polite here, it ends up like looking like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Okay? <laughs> that was my most polite way of saying it. Do you understand what I mean, Doc Murphy? Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. So this is generational forgetting. This is, I grew up in the 90s and candles and the graveyard and Buffy and, you know, the, you know, whatever spike and it'll all be really cool, you know. Um, it also partakes of something else that a, um, uh, a folklorist named, I believe, Bill Ellis wrote about, which was called Legend Tripping. And you should read his book, Legend Tripping. It will mm-hmm. completely blow your mind. And this is about the idea of a legend that there is something spooky in a specific graveyard or a specific haunted house, abandoned house. And the idea that teenagers will dare themselves into a state yeah. of heightened um, excitement and take a trip. In other words, they have to they have to venture away from where they are. Um, it can be a, a one-mile trip, a five-mile trip. They have to legend trip. They go to see the legend and to have mm-hmm. a spooky, scary, exciting, frightening, always-remembered experience. And they sometimes, when, they, when they're too drunk, they will vandalize the graveyards. They'll knock the gravestones over or whatever. But legend tripping, mm-hmm. and, and Bill Ellis' book is just monumental. It's like just a milestone of anthropological and folkloric research. Legend tripping is a white practice. Um, First of all, black Americans do not feel safe enough to go do this for obvious reasons. You know, nobody wants to die while out with their friends partying, right? Legend tripping doesn't always involve alcohol or weed or being nutso. It can be even younger kids who are not taking any intoxicants but daring each other on. I dare you. I dare you to run in there and touch the gravestone of Bloody Mary or whatever it may be. Right? So legend tripping is also has led to this generational adoption of Buffy, which came from the legend tripping idea, and, and of course, in, from classical um, vampire goth novels. Um, and then it, it has been mutated, and that's why I think there's so many white people's photos in those jars. Mm-hmm. 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 So, mm-hmm. yeah. And Jeremy says, lots of horror movies based on legend tripping. Absolutely. You can um, mm-hmm. check it out. It's an anthropological concept that has lots of value. All right. Well, thank you, Doc Murphy. This was fascinating. It brought up a lot of interesting side topics. Um, It's really an important part of understanding what hoodoo is and is not. And, um, you know, you will be able to make some judgments, perhaps, about people who offer their services as root workers if you see how they approach this subject. Okay? Mm -hmm. 
Uh, what I always say is if, if they show you a lot of skulls and crossbones and pictures of ghosts and use the word paranormal, they probably are not a root worker in the Hoodoo tradition. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's turn this over to Jeremy. <laughs> the Lucky Mojo Hoodoo Root Work Hour with your host, Catherine Ironwood and Conjurman Ali. And this week's special guest, Doc Murphy, will be right back. Support for this program is provided by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California, and located online at luckymojo.com, and by the Association of Independent Readers and Root Workers, AIR, a directory of ethical and authentic conjure practitioners located online at readersandrootworkers.org, and by the Crystal Silence League a free online prayer service of the Association of Independent Spiritual Churches located online at crystalsilenceleague.org. Now it's time to go to the phone. We're going to be speaking with Gabrielle from Alabama. Gabrielle, are you there? Hey. Yes, I'm here. Oh, hello. Great. Hi. Well, Gabrielle has never been on the show before, and she's never had a reading from Miss Cat or Conjure Man Ali. And uh, she has not seen any other root workers about this particular question, but she writes in and asks that she is currently in her Saturn return and Libra Mm. with a Capricorn moon. She's wanting to become a high priestess and eventually perform a hand fasting ritual for a friend. Her question is, will she become a high priestess and successfully perform this ritual? Wow. Okay. Wow. What an interesting question. Well, um, I'm <laughs> so thank you for entrusting us um, with this. I'm going to ask a couple of questions because I think I I missed here. You're in your Saturn return, and you are a Libra with a Capricorn moon. Is that what we're? Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Okay. There was just a. I am that was missing. I now I get it. Okay. And about how old are you? Oh, you're in your Saturn return. So you're what, 27 or 28? 28. 28. Okay. Hey, I know my Saturn returns, don't I? <laughs> I win a prize. Um, <laughs> that's a joke. <laughs> Gabrielle, you don't know how old I am and how long I've been doing this. I'm like, you got two choices. You're 27 or you're 28. Um, <laughs> oh, Nagashiva, Nagashiva says could be 29. Fair enough, but that would be your third Saturn I mean, your third Passover. Okay. Um, so um, I'm going to do the first reading here, and um, this is a question that interests me because um, I am not a member of your religion at all, so I'm a complete outsider. I'm going to ask one more question. To become a high priestess, in which religion is that? Can you name it for me? Yes, it's just Wicca. Wicca? Hmm. Okay. I'm going to go a little farther because I'm just one of those kind of nosy old ladies. Is this Gardnerian Wicca, Alexandrian Wicca, uh, generic Wicca? Well, it's <laughs> actually a, uh, kind of like a green switch. Oh, Okay. Okay, green one. And I'm also actually listening with y'all with the hoodoo, so I'm leaning a little towards that way, too. Hmm. Okay. All right. All right, I'm going to throw three cards and um, and see what I get. Uh, card number one 
is an interesting card because it's a card that can signify a choice between two things. It's the Nine of Pentacles. It shows a beautiful lady who is dressed in a dress that has Venus symbols all over it. Well, you know, you're a Libra, and you have um, uh, some Capricorn influences, and this lady has got the Venus symbols on her. She also has coins and things which would be point to Earth, like Capricorn. And she is in a garden. It's got grapes. It's got a little house behind her, a little orchard. And she has uh, two piles of coins, <clears throat> one large and one small. And uh, uh, in front of the large pile, uh, pile of coins, there's a little snail. And this is about things that are seeming to go too slow. The reward is very great on that side, but things go slowly. On the other side of her is a small pile of coins, and over that coin pile she holds up a gloved hand in which she has a hawk with a hood on its head. Now, the hawk is something unknown to her. It may be a different denomination of Wicca. It may be a different path altogether. I don't know, Universal Life Church. But it's something that you're not currently doing. And don't and are not engaged in because the hawk is hooded, but it can come much faster. It's much faster a path because the hawk, of course, is fast and the snail is slow. So I get the impression that one reason you're asking this question because you're in your Saturn return and everything is kind of slowed down is will I be able to slog through this and get there, or should I? try to speed this up in some way by doing an end run around the the Wicca tradition, which I usually is a year and a day and sometimes more, you know. So uh, it's an interesting card. It shows you do have two options open to you. The woman has a ring on one hand, and that is her right hand, and that hand is on the larger pile of coins. So her power actually may come from waiting a little bit longer rather than taking the easier, shorter, I'm sending into the Internet and becoming a universal life minister. Okay. The next card is fantastic. It is the Two of Cups. So here is the betrothed couple, the couple you want to do the mm-hmm. hand fasting for. And this is amazing. This is a great card. And yes, it indicates that if they will still be together, and I'm going to explain why I said that, When the time comes, yes, you can perform the ceremony. There's a winged lion head uh, with the symbol of Caduceus of Mercury underneath presiding over this couple who are betrothed and about to marry. The question is, will they actually marry? Will they be still planning this wedding at the point when you become a high priestess? So we really are asking two questions now. Am I going to become a high priestess who's capable of performing hand fasting? And will this couple be together? And this question shows that the woman who is wearing a crown of bay laurel leaves is the more anxious and compliant of the two who wishes for the marriage a bit more. The man is a little bit more unreliable. He's certainly reaching out for her cup. And there's this moment of question, will he you know, scamper away with her cup or will he give his cup? But he's a little bit more loosely committed yet behind them there is a beautiful backdrop a painted backdrop of a lovely cottage in Cornwall the life they hope to have together and so yes if they are together you will be able to perform this and 
there's a third card, and the third card is the Queen of Swords. Okay, so this is the card of a Libra woman who is a queen. You will not only be able to handfast people, you will be able to divorce people. You will be able to do birth ceremonies and death ceremonies. You'll be a full service priestess. Okay? Yeah. You get that? <laughs> I'm going to cry. Of- yes, I'm going to cry. That's wonderful. <laughs> Yeah, you're going to offer everything here. The Queen of Swords holds a sword, which is, you know, upright. She beckons with her hand, come here, I'll help. Now, the sword is for protection. The sword is for severance. The sword is for justice. And she has a a, um, waning moon and a waxing moon on her throne. So she fosters that which grows. She fosters that which diminishes. She's a very powerful woman. She's a powerful queen. So just becoming the officiant at your friend's hand fasting is only the beginning of it. You actually have quite a career as a wise woman ahead of you. Okay, That's my reading. Let's see um, what um, Ollie is going to do. Oh, no, excuse me. Let's have Doc Murphy do the reading. I'm sorry. That's okay. Um, hi, Gabrielle. Um, well, hey. as, as opposed to, as opposed to Miss Cat, I actually am um, involved in the religious traditions that you're part of. I'm a, a pagan as well, and I actually my spread is the quick four card spread that I do, um, and the narrative here is less about your role as, as marrying this couple, but more about your your own education and your training. So I need to ask a couple of questions. Are you working and training in a coven right now? Um, yes. Um, okay. I'm supposed to join. Are you working on... I'm sorry. Are you working on the coolage of another priestess or a priest? Are you, are, are you being trained for any degree yes. program or something? Right. Okay. So you actually do have some some... A path that you're going on, you do have some mentorship doing that. That's kind of what I wanted to, to get clear. The card I have sitting in the, the before card spread that I'm doing is past, present, obstacle to the present, and future. The card I have sitting in the past is the Knight of Swords. The Knight of Swords is the knight um, that is very eager to draw his sword and run into battle. Something fast is really happening. I'm on my way. Charge. Here we go. Um, and sometimes he gets a little bit ahead of himself. There seems to be a sense that whatever call he had to become a priestess came rapidly, came suddenly, and um, right now it looks like your uh, your mentorship with uh, your your coven clergy is asking you to kind of put the brakes on it a little bit. There's a sudden realization that this is the path meant for you, but they want to make sure that you're your training is tight, and that moving on to be a priestess, um, if, I, if I ask you uh, what degree you're training for, does that make sense to you, and what degree are you training for right now? Um, just the lower, the lower level. The first degree? Okay, because yes, there's ma'am. a difference in the students between being a priestess and being a high priestess. And a high priestess means three degrees. So if this is your first degree, um, you're probably on your way to this path to being a high priestess, but it's not going to happen within a year and a day. That's going to take a little bit longer. But you could be a priestess in uh, a year and a day. The card, again, that I'm sitting in a present slot here is also the Queen of Swords. 
Um, the sword, if proper coven work is what draws the circle, it's what casts the circle, it's what uh, calls the community together. Um, this also find that this is that you are meant to be on, and I think also this speaks to the mentorship of your coven clergy with regards to uh, not only moving forward to be clergy yourself, but also to make sure that you have the discipline that you need to take on the responsibilities. But the card that I have that is the conflict with the past is actually the wolf card. Um, again, a conflict does not necessarily mean that it's a bad thing, but it could complicate things. Um, the world speaks to completion. And there is a, a, something that needs to be completed before you move forward with regard to doing a hand fasting for this couple. And that may very well be your, your uh, degree program, your initiation in, in getting your first degree. That's kind of what I'm seeing there. All the four elements are in place. The circle is complete. And my goddess is in the center. And that's what it looks like to me is that there's some level of, of um, completion that needs to happen before you proceed. Um, the card that I have in the is the Queen of Wands, but I read reversals and the card came up reversed, which means that there is going to be a little bit more of um, uh, to your own your own training, your own vitality, your own magical training, um, your own use of your energy. There's going to be a little bit of a, of a hindrance there. So you'll get the ceremonial training, the ability to marry and bury and do the ceremonial work, but it may for a temporary time come at the cost of your magical training. So make sure you don't lose sight of that. And I think probably if you're going to continue to study you, that might address that as well. So I hope it's helpful. That's what I have for you. Yes, thank Can you so much. I, I, yeah, and I'm going to say something here that's interesting because we were talking about high priestess, and of course I didn't know all of the uh, technical language you have because it's not my religion. But I, the card that I had, the first one, the nine, I called the duchess. She's not a queen, and she's not a princess. She's the duchess. And so this is what I would call the first degree, right? And mm-hmm. um, and then the page or princess would be the second degree, and the queen would be the third degree. And, of course, the empress is the goddess above them all. That's how I would see it. So we're, our, our readings are somewhat in alignment. I think it's very interesting. I don't read often alongside you, Doc Murphy, and it's interesting to see how we aligned there. Okay. Um, yeah. So, um, and again, um, the the idea here is do what you're doing. It's good. The only doubt I see is will that couple be together by the time you're through with this training? But that's we're just going to hope and pray on that one. Okay. Let's turn this over to Countryman Ali, and he's going to um, give you some root work to do. Yeah, I think you've got some some really great uh, readings here. You are in your Saturn return. So something that I always tell everybody, when they're in their Saturn return, they need to get a life reading at some point. Now, you can do this with your high priestesses. You can do this in your own religion. If they have a tradition of of life readings, you can go to a reader that does life readings with tarot cards. usually involves a little bit more than a three-card cut, more than we can do here. You could do astrology, geomancy, anything that's life-oriented that can tell you what your life is going to be. Uh, Anyone going through a Saturn return really needs to consider it because it helps to kind of bring things into perspective. So something to consider after this, that in addition to the readings you've gotten, see if you can get a little bit of depth there. The reason I say this is because there's another element to your case. I actually casted a geomancy reading um, as I was listening to Kat. There is an element of fame uh, associated with your path. In the 10th house, we have Caput 
uh, Draconis, so before I, I give you this recommendation, just something to consider that you may actually end up becoming quite well known in your work. So get that life reading. There's some fame element here uh, and recognition element that you can, you can tap into. So what can you do to help you along this path, this spiritual path? First and foremost is to develop a strong ancestral altar. Regardless of what tradition you want to call upon your ancestors here because they are going to be a source of wisdom for you, but also your first line of defense. And you can do this quite easily. You can set up a small table dedicated to them. You're going to decorate it with photos of your ancestors. It doesn't have to be, you know, 10 degrees of separation. You can immediately start with just grandma and grandpa or, or you know, great grandma and great grandpa, whoever it is that, that has passed away that you think would have a, you'd have a strong connection with. Place there a white candle with a cup of water and a small bowl of Althea. Every Sunday, light that white candle and you pray to those ancestors, refresh that cup of water, uh, speak to them, keep a small journal of uh, your thoughts, your impressions, the feelings that you get, any messages you hear, any significant dreams that stand out. This is going to take time. This is an ongoing practice, but it will help to build that deep spiritual and psychic connection, which you will require as a high priestess. This is going to be important for you. You need to have this reservoir of knowledge and power, and it comes from the ancestors. So start with this particular uh, practice. Then I want you to also develop for yourself a mojo bag, a mojo bag that you will carry with you in your career as a priestess. Again, I said there is an element of fame here, so I do think that this will be a long uh, path for you and a rewarding one. Get yourself a uh, white candle. Start this working during a Monday during the waxing moon. Get some master key oil and some master key incense. And I want you to light this white candle and under it, I want you to gather these herbs and roots and place them one by one into the mojo bag. I want you to put in Angelica for protection and strength and power, Althea for good spirits, Queen Elizabeth root for your feminine dominance and queenship, Sage for wisdom, Bailey's for success, Master root that you may master all things that you do, and Anise for psychic skills. You're going to place it into the mojo bag, breathe into it your prayer, and then knot it three times. Smoke it in the incense as you pray and awaken it. Bring it to life. This mojo bag will then be your ally. Carry it with you. It is your secret. Don't show it to anyone. Don't let anyone touch it. Hold it near your body for at least two weeks. After that, you can put it in a pocket or in your purse. Once a week, you should feed it Master Key Oil. And this will be your spiritual ally on your spiritual journey. That's what I uh, recommend here. Some simple workings, but workings that I think will be useful to you. Uh, again, get that life reading. And let's see if Kat and Doc Murph have anything further to add. Well, that was about as good as it gets, Ali. <laughs> that was fantastic. Um, I have nothing to add at all, and um, I, I'm content. I think that's a really good working. Oh, wonderful! <laughs> and that's it. That's. Uh, I hope you do well, Gabrielle. I think this is. There's a Thank lot you. here. You're welcome. You're welcome. Um, and uh, remember to keep feeding that mojo. Okay? All righty. 
Well, um, next we have um, our outer space music from the network of Whirling Gyres. The LMC Radio Network is a media alliance whose excellent shows include The Lucky Mojo Hoodoo Rootwork Hour with Catherine Ironwood and Conjurman Ollie, Sundays, 3 to 4.30. The Crystal Silence League Hour with John St. Germain, Tuesdays, 5 to 6. The Witch, the Priestess, and the Cauldron with Elvira Love and Phoenix LeFay, Fridays, 1 to 2. And Blue Flag Root Radio with Lady Muse, Fridays, 7 to 8. All time specific, add three hours for Eastern, sponsored by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California, and online at luckymojo.com. And now it's time for our free cell segment with Doc Murphy of Twin Cities of Minnesota in Paganistan. Take it away, Doc Murphy. Thank you, Dr. Jeremy. Okay, this spell actually does utilize the collection of graveyard dirt, but it's to ask for spiritual protection and healing. In particular, it's for a loved one who might be in the hospital or in congregate care um, when you want to do healing and protection work for them, but you can't see them because of these COVID-19 restrictions. Um, So the materials you will want to gather are as follows. Um, You will want to take for and collect the graveyard dirt of who we would now call a frontline worker, a nurse, a doctor, medic, someone in a medical religious order, maybe like the Order of St. Benedict or the Little Sisters of the Poor. Obviously, acquire it properly and with a grateful offering, grateful payment. You also need a photo of your target of the patient in a frame. Tiny jars, like the little ones that that you get pimentos or anchovies or pesto in, really, really little tiny jars. Prayer paper, candles, it can be in the candles or Hanukkah candles or birthday candles. Or 7 Eleven holy type oil, an alfina, peony root, and rue. After collecting your grain, bringing it home, prepare your prayer paper. Write the patient's name on the paper, and around their name, write the line from Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Dress the paper with either healing or 7-Eleven holy type oil, depending on the severity of the situation. Pray to the spirits of the frontline worker whose dirt you collected to help protect and heal the patient. Add a pinch of the graveyard dirt to the prayer paper with a pinch each of the herbs folded into a packet. Put the packet in the frame in between the photo and the back easel, the back of the uh, frame. Divide the rest of the between the two little jars. Also add the remainder of the herbs evenly to each little jar and close the lids. Dress the candles with either healing or 7-Eleven holy type oil. Affix the candles atop the jars and set them on either side of the photo frame. Burn them while praying for health and for protection for the patient. If this is going to be a prolonged stay for your patient, like somebody in congregate care, get a box of white birthday or Hanukkah candles and do this every night until your patient's struggle with illness is resolved. Well, that is an incredible spell. And as usual, we always ask, anything else you might change or add? It's beautiful the way it is. I'm going to make one suggestion only. 
Those who are Catholic might wish to work with St. Jude oil if the situation has been deemed hopeless. Mm-hmm. And because St. Jude is the miracle of cases despaired of. You could add the St. Jude oil to the other oils or use it in place of it. If the person is known to be dying and you simply want to wish for a peaceful and blessed death, St. Joseph is the mm. saint of good death. Okay? Um, mm-hmm. If you come from a Mexican Azteca background, you might want to go to Santisima Muerte, Holy Death. Mm-hmm. But I would not use Holy Death to heal somebody, because Holy Death is Holy Death. <laughs> okay. So there are some options, and one other option that occurs to me out of the Venezuelan Catholic folk magic tradition is. If the person is undergoing diagnostic tests and you want to make sure the diagnosis is accurate and that there's an effective treatment plan, you would use the oil of Dr. Jose Gregorio Hernandez, the uh, beatified but not yet canonized Venezuelan doctor. So Mm. those are some ideas that might work. I'll give you one more. If you're from, if you're Norteño Mexican, you might go with um, uh, Nina Fidencio. Nina Fidencio um, Constantino, I think the same was, was a young man um, who worked in the sort of Mayan tradition in northern Mexico, and many people still revere him if they come out of the Mexican tradition. He's usually shown as a young man dressed in the garb of um, the Virgin of Guadalupe, as if he were a woman. He was a gay man, and he also had healing baths and did personal hands-on healing. So he has a small but very sincere cult following, and his the, the um, schizandra tree under which he preached is still there, and people still try to collect the berries from it. So those are some alternate herbs. That's all I have to add. What about you, Ollie? I have nothing to add other than to say that this is a very timely spell, uh, given what we're going through, and also a very compassionate spell. But it's also a good reminder of the kind of ways we can work with the dead that go beyond the kind of scare, spooky, icky ways that people think about nowadays. Oh, curses, crosses, Satanism, right? This is a prime mm-hmm. example of the sort of beautiful ideas of the dead, the beautiful tradition of working with the dead, of the compassion, the source of power and wisdom uh, that you can find in the cemetery and with the dead. Um, and and I have a you know suspicion that this is going to be a very popular spell uh, this year with, with lots of people. Yeah, I think so too. So this is extremely timely, and um, the way that. The way that it's, um, I guess you could say, organized, the ingredients of it are classical. They're just classical, authentic, mm-hmm. traditional, um, and meaningful. So amazing. Thank you very much, Doc Murphy. That's a that's a very beautiful spell. And um, oh. I, I have to say here that um, I didn't mention it earlier in the show because I was so charged up about working on the book that we're doing on tea leaf reading, but my run of having clients who call me up crying 
because COVID-19 has taken a member of their family or two or three, caused separations from loved ones who are now behind borders that cannot be crossed, national borders, Mm -hmm. or have lost their jobs, including jobs for which they trained all their uh, life, had wanted to to enter a new career, did enter the new career, and the new career happened to be restaurant chef. Oops. And um, and now the restaurant went out of business that they were hired for. So there is so much going on and so much pain around COVID-19. This is a good spell to try to get us some relief and some help for people who are struggling with this pandemic. Okay. Well, let us have Jeremy bring us our closing announcements, and then um, he's going to talk, I hope, about the Hoodoo Heritage Festival. So let's improvise, Jeremy. Take it away. <laughs> well, thank you, Ms. Cat and Conjurman Ali, and thank you, Doc Murphy of Twin Cities, Minnesota, in Afghanistan, for being our guest this week. We invite you to join us next week when our special guest from the Association of Independent Readers and Root Workers will be Mr. Reverend John St. Germain from DivineHarmonySpiritualChurch.com in Knoxville, Tennessee, bringing us the topic of healing pets with hoodoo. Not pets with hoodoo, but using hoodoo to heal pets. Once again, we've come to the end of another Lucky Mojo Hoodoo Root Work Hour, brought to you by the Lucky Mojo Cheerio Company in Forestville, California. You can find Miss Cat via the Lucky Mojo Forum at forum.luckymojo.com and Conjurman Ali at the conjurmanconsulting.com in Mission Viejo, California. I'm your announcer, Dr. Jeremy, and this year we're bringing you the 2020 Virtual Hoodoo Heritage Festival. And you should go right to https colon back uh, slash slash virtual dot hoodooheritagefestival.com and you'll see all of the amazing 15 presenters. We have early bird tickets on sale until September 16th at $280, at which time prices will go up and there are only a limited number of tickets. So hurry up. Thank you, and good night. Good night, everyone. Good night.